When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. I was seeing things at a different pace rather than going 100 miles per hour because I have the ball and it's like, okay, here we go, let's do something with it. And now it's more like, okay, let's make the right read, take our time, knowing that the defense is always wrong. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Oh, happy day. And welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. So great to have you here as we talk women's basketball. I am John Little, your host, play-by-play broadcaster out of the Dallas area. I also host a news radio show every afternoon on 1080 KRLD with my friend Susie Solis. We do that from 3 to 7 every weekday. And uh, I also do some singing on the side. More on that in just a second. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking a lot of LA Sparks basketball, but then about the media coverage as well in the WNBA as we talk to LA Sparks guard Sydney Weiss, who is having a fantastic breakout season, and also Eli Horowitz, the PR director for the Sparks as well, will be along too. And he's just got a great perspective if you ever follow him on Twitter. A reminder to rate us and review us. We really do care what you think, and we'd love to hear some other guests that you'd like to hear on the show. Just email us, podcast at herhoopstats.com. And I just wanted to take a second to, yes, acknowledge, just in case you found me and you also crossed over the reason the 
unbelievable reason that I went viral over the weekend. Uh, yeah, I've just uh, got to own up to it, and that's what I've been doing over the last 24 hours. I did not think I would be here talking about this today. But like I said, I also do some singing on the side. It's a huge passion of mine. I really love it. I've been doing it all my life. And so for Texas Rangers games over the last three years, I've had the opportunity to sing the national anthem before games, and then God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch. And it's been a lot of fun. God Bless America is actually my more favorite one to sing because it's just a little bit easier. as It's shorter as well, and you get to show off your voice a little bit, or at least that's what I thought I was going to do yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it did not go so well, and the Internet has caught on to it. So let's hear a little bit of the – I will say this. Okay, it went really well up until the point it didn't go well. See if you can figure out what point I stumbled just a little bit. God bless America, my home sweet home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is me on God Bless America absolutely Butchering the end, I started too high, and uh, yeah, that means you're going to finish too high as well, John, and boy, did I ever. Totally unintentional on my part, of course, but man, uh, I've had some fun with it, and so has the internet over the last day, so I apologize for doing that to your ears, but I wanted to let you in on the joke because it was, uh, just has to be my absolute toughest moment in singing or in public performance at all. And if I don't choose to make lemonade out of lemons here, who's going to for me? So yeah, that's my last 24 hours, but I ain't stopping singing. Sorry. It's time to talk to our first guest, and it's Sydney Weiss, the guard for the L.A. Sparks. And what a breakout season she's had. She's in her third year out of Oregon State. She had some splashes in her rookie season uh, a couple years ago. Last year, thanks to injury and then just not being able to break into the rotation at all, she had a year where she didn't score at all. But under Derek Fisher, she has found her role. She's playing it well. She's developed into, at this point in the season, a star on a star-laden L.A. Sparks roster. So it is just an awesome conversation with a very affable uh, young person, and I really hope you enjoy our conversation with Sydney Weiss, who, by the way, when we talked on Tuesday, was celebrating International Left-Handers Day. You, you made it to another Left-Handers Day. Congratulations. I mean, what a day to be alive. I can't think of a better day throughout the year than today. So yeah. I'm thankful to be left-handed. I don't know who to thank for that. Is that a genetic thing? I'm not sure. But my dad is left-handed as well, so shout out to my dad. Uh, but yeah, what a great day. Go left-handers. Absolutely. Uh, what's the best part of being left-handed? Being different. I think, I mean, it's considered different and unique in a way. Um, I don't know... When you think about it, like in depth, I don't understand why there are more right-handed people and why that's considered normal, if you will, but I'll take it. I'll take being unique, being a left-handed person. And I think um, one thing that annoys me, and it might just be me, is like when you write on a whiteboard, your hand goes over the writing. So like it smudges everything and you have to adjust like how you write. Little things that you don't think of, um, but 
Other than that, there's a lot of really great perks about being left-handed. Well, if you've got the wrong type of pen as well that doesn't dry fast enough, that's got to be bad too. So, I mean, it's yeah. not just whiteboards. Not I mean, whiteboards. It's, it's regular pens. It, and I love to write. I journal often. And so I sometimes have to put a piece of paper over the writing so my hand doesn't smudge when I'm writing across. Again, mm. it's interesting. Little little details. Uh, you're blowing my mind right now. And us right-handers, us 90% of the right-handers, and I don't know why that was either, but we were talking about that on the show today, why only 10% of people are left-handed. But that is Sydney Weiss, and that gives you an idea of her personality and how fun she is. So I appreciate that. Uh, but let's dive into the team. Five straight wins here. You've won eight of nine. We were pointing out 11 of 13 as well. And just in general, when you take that bank of more than a dozen games now where you guys have been so successful, you know, when you guys get together and talk about it, what are you talking about? What's been the key to that? I think staying in the moment because I didn't even know that stat. I didn't know that we've won the last the last 11 of 13 games or the last eight of nine. Um, I think we've been really focused on being present while we're playing, whether we're practicing, playing, watching film, um, understanding what we need to get better at in order to continue that streak, but mainly not even to focus on streaks, but how to get the job done each possession and to take pride um, in winning, but also winning every moment. And so we don't really like to get caught up in streaks or the past. We, we move on relatively quickly from wins and losses. We reflect on them, we learn from them, and then we look forward to the next opponent and the the season goes by so fast you don't really have time to reflect on a lot of that stuff well of course because we're a stats website at her hoop stats you know I was just looking at your four game homestand and how efficient that you were as I look in the past as you just told me not to do but I've got to do it anyway I mean you were eight of 12 from three or 11 of 15 from the field but I think it just shows how it's got to show how comfortable you are in your role, and certainly that's something that's evolved over the course of the season, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a lot of different uncontrollables take place with different injuries going on, and so a lot of bodies in and out, and uh, you have to be, everyone has had to be ready when their name's called, or if you have to step up, that's our job. And so um, I think getting to know um, each woman and who you're playing with, their strengths, and what you can contribute to them uh, it sort of frees you up when, whenever you have that opportunity to make a play or to score, whatever the case is. And so the system that we play in is not really um, focused on anyone. It's making sure that everyone is in position to have success and to capitalize on that when it is your time to step up. I, I heard you say that, you know, Coach Fisher has told you, don't be passive, you know, be aggressive while you're in there. What are some ways where you see that or, you know, maybe recently, maybe you wouldn't have made a play before, but maybe you're making it now. Have Where have you seen that improvement in yourself? Um, I think making the right reads uh, on both ends of the floor and knowing that I'm capable of making those reads. Because um, I think at first uh, you don't really want to make a mistake, but that sort of inhibits you to do anything when you play fearful and tight. And so, and that was not even stemming from Coach Fisher at all. It was more of my own uh, mentality of, you know, I'm out here. I don't want to mess it up. And, mm. But instead of 
embracing it. I got to a point now where it's like embrace it, enjoy it, and just play basketball. And that he gives us the freedom to do that, which is awesome, um, all, the, all across the board. And so I think for me it was the game really slowed down. I was seeing things at a different pace rather than going 100 miles per hour because I have the ball and it's like, okay, here we go, let's do something with it. And now it's more like, okay, let's make the right read, take our time, knowing that the defense is always wrong and I just have to keep it simple. And that's the whole point of basketball is not doing anything crazy but just making the right read every time. I know every player that is team-focused would say, I don't care if I play 27 minutes or two minutes, I'm going to play as hard and I'm going to try to play as well every time. But you've drawn like 27 minutes at least each of the last seven games. Does that help you? I'm not saying that you're politicking for more playing time, but does – does that help you just being on the floor more? Absolutely, because it gives you a chance to get into a rhythm and to um, to know the feel of the game. You can you can be in it from the bench as well, but it's different when you're actually out there and you're um, adjusting on the fly when you're out there with your teammates and you guys are reading each other and you're seeing different things rather than from the sideline where you can't really have that vantage point. And so to have the opportunity to have successes and failures, you learn so much from all of that. And so there's nothing like actually doing it. You can watch film and you can do all that stuff, but to be experiencing it is amazing because you get to grow so much more um, from everything that you get to, to do out there. That hasn't always been the case in your career, and we think back to just last year uh, where you're not on the floor because of injury. You're not on the floor because of, uh, you know, just coaches' decisions. And when you think about where you've improved the most from the time you came in as a rookie till now, um, you know, not even coaching styles, uh, drawing those in, but where where are the things where you – see yourself as light years ahead of where you were before? Uh, mentally. I think the the first two seasons, it was trying to get myself to a point of belief of knowing I'm supposed to be here mm. and working through different challenges of who am I at this level? Who am I capable of becoming? And I think a lot of the times uh, in every walk of life, uh, that mental game is so important because it either takes away your opportunities and it's not anything else but yourself taking those away from uh, what you could be experiencing or it frees you up to to know I'm supposed to be here I'm capable of this let's enjoy it and embrace it and so my first two seasons it was learning the professional game understanding how it works on both ends of the floor and the dynamic of um, you know whatever role you're called into stepping into that and knowing what is needed and so now it's I feel, like I said earlier, the game has slowed down where everything is sort of clicking, like it makes sense. And I know in my mind that I'm supposed to be here. And whether or not I make mistakes that comes with the game, um, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to make those mistakes and to still have the chance to be out there and grow and learn. And so you never know how long it's going to last to play professionally, but I've I've taught myself to embrace it while it's here and to make the most of it because at the end of the day it's, it's a basketball game. We'll get to Coach Fisher in a moment, but have there been any other people that have been big in helping you along during this process, as you said, growing in that way? So many people. I am so fortunate um, to have amazing friends and family. 
Um, and I can name so many different people, but I, I'll list um, my cousin Brock is a trainer in Los Angeles, and he's been training me since I was a kid. He used to play in college as well, um, and then he moved to L.A. a couple years ago full-time to train um, basketball kids and myself and anyone that he that wants to get better. And so he's always spoke belief into me and could see uh, what I could be at this level and still now, like, who I can still become. And so working with him extra away from practice and to be in Los Angeles when I got drafted I was so excited because I was going to be able to work with him firsthand he was going to be there he's going to be I mean traffic is questionable but he was going to be in the same area (laughs) and so it was awesome to have that opportunity uh this last off season uh in between seasons overseas and coming to LA again I had a trainer who also worked with my cousin back when he was a kid um and going through basketball stuff and Um, I met him when I was a kid, but I had never worked with him throughout high school or college. His name's Carlos, and I thought of him when I was overseas. I was like, I think I want to work with this guy when I get back to Phoenix, and so I texted him. I got his number and uh, was able to work with him for five weeks, just more speed and agility, conditioning, um, that kind of stuff, and while we were I mean, he kicked my butt, but while he was doing that, he was speaking life into me and wisdom, and we had the best talks, and every day he approached it as, think of this as game day. Think of this as no one's going to get past you. You're going to get past everybody on offense. Like, all those positive reinforcements and encouragement, and it was every day, and that really helped me get myself to a point of believing that on my own, and so... I mean, there would be days where I would, like, drive home from training in tears because he was giving me so much encouragement and wisdom that I was like, man, I think I'm going to start believing that myself. That's crazy. So he really helped me. And then I've stayed really close to my college coach from Oregon State, um, Scott Ruick, and he has also been a great source of wisdom and encouragement, and um, he's always had such a great perspective. When I was going throughout my college years, um, I could lean on him for so many different things, and then going into this world, um, a different dynamic because I'm no longer his player, but he's become um, a steady force, like a, another father figure um, away from my own dad, and uh, he's been instrumental as well in just making sure that my mind is right and uh, being someone that I can lean on for a kick in the butt if I need it or just some encouragement. And so those three, and then um, obviously my parents, and um, I could go down the line. Also, I got to shout out my strength coach from Morgan State as well, Jeff, because um, he he used to be a strength coach in the NBA, and so he understands how the professional world is different from college and what that looks like and so like my first two seasons he would always say like your rookie year it's sort of like a blur you're just happy to be there and then the second year happens and it's very difficult because expectations are higher and you're just not quite there yet but you think you know what you're doing but you really don't and so if you can get get through all of that and have another opportunity the third year is when it starts to really click and so I really leaned into that whenever I was struggling and I can I can feel the benefits of that now because like I said the the game makes a little bit more sense so he helped he really helped me with that what a thoughtful answer I just love it and I got a couple places I want to go here and one of them is before the season uh, you were talking to a, a young man on media day and he was doing a good job on a little back and forth with you talking about reading the obstacle is the way at the time is the is the book that you were reading and whenever you're talking I just hear about you know the, the the obstacles that you were kind of uh, trying to trying to go around. You were talking about that earlier and trying to figure out where you fit in. And in the WNBA, we're talking about the 144 best players in the world, as we always say. 
just position-wise, um, because these are the best players, you've got to fit them on the team somehow. And so if you've got a log jam at the one, like you were a natural one at, you know, you are a natural point when coming out of college, um, you might have to play two and you might have to play three and you've got to be just fine with that. Um, was that ever a mental barrier for you coming in? And if it was, how did you get past position changes? Yeah, because I, I think, um, you know, I got to this level as a point guard. And so I, from my understanding, I was like, well, I'm going to be a point guard. Like, mm-hmm. but obviously that's not always the case and there's different styles of play wherever you go um you know whether you are playing internationally or you're playing um within different systems there's so many good players and it just depends on how you fit into that system how you fit into that mold and so it took me time to embrace and to also enjoy the challenge of learning the game from these new positions and understanding that that will actually be more beneficial for me when I can contribute from anywhere if it's I, I played the four when I was in Israel I played in Israel this offseason I was playing the four and a little bit of the five as well and so I think what helped me was having that point guard mindset because I understand positions I understand what is expected at the four spot what needs to be done at the two and the three and so then putting that into practice and trying to perfect that and get better at that myself um, I I enjoy it I think it's a lot of fun to be to be able to not pigeonholed into one to one spot but to be able to be used and to be confident with that and it's going to be a continued process Uh, you're never going to be a perfect basketball player that's what makes the game so fun because there's always something to get better at but that was a a mental block at first because I didn't really I never had a lot of reps at those positions but obviously after these two two and a half years out there's been a lot more opportunities to get more comfortable with them having a fun conversation right now with Sydney Weiss. Really appreciate your answers so far. And I wanted to go into a coaching change and what it's like to go from, you know, one great head coach to another great head coach. So w- during the off season, when you guys, and I assume you're overseas by this point, when Coach Agler decides to step away, um, what was your reaction? What was the team's reaction at that time? Well, it's a business, and so there's different opportunities that can fit you as an individual, and so um, you you just take it as it comes. You understand, like, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, um, you got to do what's best for you at the end of the day, and so um, that comes with the business side of things, and that's what I've been learning at this professional level. And even in college, you see people transfer, you see people take uh, who are assistant coaches take head coaching jobs, and so it's just what you feel is best for you, that opportunity that will best suit you and um, challenge you to grow as a person, as a professional. And so um, when he took the Dallas job, um, if that was the best place for him to be, awesome. Go and enjoy it. And um, he's obviously has a great track record as a head coach. Um, And so this was the next stepping stone for him in his career. And so um, I never really talked to any of my teammates about it, but that's how I viewed it in regards to as a professional, um, as a coach, you, you take the necessary steps in order to continue to improve. Do you have a chance to worry during that time or let yourself worry about, okay, what kind of coach are we going to get in here during that time? I hope it's a really good one. I hope I end up liking the person. Or is that something that just as a professional, you cannot let get in your mind? Well, you just have to embrace whoever comes and, and trust that the, the leadership at top is going to make the best decision for the team. Um, and also, it's not really about you. You just hope that um, at the end of the day, 
um, whoever is going to be leading us is about the team, is about what we want as a group, which is championships. And so um, however you got to get that job done, um, it's cool if they're a really cool person, but that can't always be the case. Um, you know, I've had so many coaches throughout my, my days playing that if you get the job done and win, that's the whole point. And so you, you learn to separate the personal side of it and not really even think about the personal side, but just know like, okay, the job is to be a coach. So whatever that looks like, that's what they got to do. Well, Coach Fisher, a lot of people have compared his game to your game and said that you guys are kindred spirits in that way. Wow. I've been, that's what I've been told. Um, <laughs> take it. How do you guys get along? From the outset, you know, when he's trying to build a relationship with you and, and vice versa, uh, how have you guys gotten along so far? Awesome. He is um, such a great guy. So as I was saying earlier, you get fortunate if you have a cool person as your coach, and he is a really cool person. And so our, our whole coaching staff is. They're really great people, and they know the game. I mean, he's played at the highest level. He's won championships in the NBA. Um, he's coached before a little bit, and so he's learning the ropes of that. But I think what makes him so great um, is he wants to. He wants to improve, and he's open to hearing feedback and how to improve and uh, the WNBA is different than the NBA and so how can I be setting you guys up for success in this league and what do I need to know and so it's been an open relationship for all of us across the board and uh, one of the coolest things that I appreciate about him is he he continuously lets everyone know their value and how important they are whatever your role is whether you're not playing or you are we need every single person in order to get to where we want to go. And so his mindset is always um, aimed at the end goal, the championship that we want to win, and navigating those steps along the way to get us there. And so uh, I've really enjoyed working with him and learning from him, and um, he's fun to be around, the whole coaching staff is, and so we're really fortunate to have them with us. My favorite line from him this year uh, about you was that he wanted you to have your swag high and your confidence up, uh, you know, uh, it, and, and be Oregon State, uh, Sydney. Uh, what did that mean to you that, I don't know, he's, um, he's, he's just trying to do everything he can to make sure that you're in the best place mentally? Yeah, that means a lot. Um, and, you know, coming from a, a person who used to play, he understands how important confidence is and how that gets you to being yourself out there because you don't want to be tight. You don't want to be overthinking. You want to be at that perfect balance of focused but loose and enjoying the moment. And so he's been really big with all of us at unlocking our potential and making sure that we feel comfortable. And, um, you know, he pushes us. That's his job as a coach. He pushes us and helps us see where we can grow and improve. But he also lets us know when we do things well and when um, he he likes what he sees. And so he has a really good balance of um, pushing those buttons and getting us there, but also understanding that where we are right now is really darn good. Have you met Justin Bieber yet? Oh, my gosh. I had a feeling this question was coming. Okay, so here is the situation. Um, I screwed up. <laughs> I screwed up a couple years ago. I had the opportunity to meet him at after one of our games at Madison Square Garden, and he was literally, like, five feet away from me, and I was by myself. And, like, we all have that person where – like, we freeze. Mm -hmm. We can't breathe. We can't move. Right. can't speak. You need someone with you that says, hey, 
this person right here who's not capable of functioning loves you and like just needs a handshake autograph picture whatever it is I had no one with me that's my fault I should have known but he was right there five feet away I was like screaming taking a video of him saying oh my gosh and didn't talk to him didn't meet him and so I got so much crap for it from everyone and I still do and that's my only regret in my life and I'm hoping since we're in LA and our DJ at our games DJ Malski he sort of has a connection with yeah. Beebs and we're it's in the works so we'll see I'm I swear if I get redemption because not you don't get redemption a lot of the time and right. especially with Justin Bieber that would be I mean I just want to shake his hand and say listen I love your music I love you um we finally got to meet so it's happening it's gonna happen uh I believe it's going to happen, too. And I, I'm honestly surprised it hasn't happened yet. How has he not wanted to meet you, you know, not seeking you out in L.A.? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so what's, like, your – what made you fall in love with Justin B- His music. His – as a, a – uh, as a uh, as an artist. Yeah, exactly. Why do you um, respect Justin Bieber in such a high way? I, I honestly – People have blown it out of proportion. I just love his music. Um, and I think, like, when everything, when he was going through all this stuff um, in the media, paparazzi issues, like, he was basically growing up in front of cameras. And I think people, like, obviously, when you're doing that, when you have cameras on you at all times, like, you have to understand, like, there's certain ways you have to carry yourself. But he also had, he was in front of cameras, like, since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to the mistakes that he was making was like on screen and in pictures and documented when like we're all making those same mistakes but just behind the scenes and so when people were started giving him crap for everything I was like guys he's a human being like he's growing up he's a teenager he's going through so much can you just cut him some slack okay and so then it started to become personal because I just wanted him to thrive and make it and also he was just making great music and I respected his journey and how on camera, I mean, I don't know him as a person yet, but like you know, that like I said, that's coming. You but can ma- I can imagine he meant well. Like he wanted, he was going through his own growth journey, and I've always loved his music, his sound, and then I just, I just really respect him. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, great answer there. I appreciate it. And now, if Justin would come in, oh, no, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, that would be that would be really Amazing. fun. That would be a really That'd good be so get. Cool. That would be yeah. like I. But I would sort of like if there were cameras around. Yeah. That I would actually be expecting that. I still expect it. So where is he? Yeah. Exactly. I. I don't have any cameras. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't be here if oh not if there weren't cameras. Sydney, I really appreciate you sitting down and taking some time to talk with us today. Excited for what you guys are doing and how you're putting it together. And I wish you continued success as you go after as much as you can possibly take this year. Thank you so much. I'm excited um, and always grateful to be a part of this organization. Um, I'm very fortunate because I'm surrounded by incredible women, incredible coaching staff, support staff. Um, and I've, a lot of the times, like when you're in this league, you don't really have a say on where you can be. And Mm -hmm. so I've been placed in a really good spot and, um, it always helps when you can win some games. Um, and so hopefully we can continue to win games, um, and get as far as we can, but, um, I'm having a really good time. And so go Sparks. How cool is that? That is Sydney Weiss, the guard for the LA Sparks, just an outstanding person and somebody that's great to talk to. And we've got some great people to talk to in this league, some really 
well-spoken women like Sydney. So I really appreciate Sydney's time and her being so uh, light. I, I love having conversations like that, that that flow so beautifully and we're laughing on and off the air. And I also got to talk to Eli Horowitz. Now, Eli is the PR director for the L.A. Sparks. Uh, But even more than that, he does a great job of pushing the narrative of the league. And he does a great job with pushing the narrative of the Sparks. And he is not uh, afraid to do so. He really is kind of in your face about it on Twitter. And I I think it just goes back to him being so passionate about it. And you're going to hear why. Uh, during this interview. I I think it's a very valuable thing to talk about the media coverage in the league, where it's been, where it is right now, and where it's headed. So here's Eli Horowitz. Really appreciate your time, Eli, and being willing to do this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good to have you in Dallas. And I thought um, just this year, you've done a great job of staying on top of people on Twitter and just completely pumping out the notion that we've got to be covering the WNBA more. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But first, I want to know how you got hooked up with the WNBA, why you have this position, because I see on your bio, at least on Twitter, which is how we know everybody these days, you've held a lot of different, you've done a lot of different things over the course of uh, your life so far. So how does this all work together for you? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Out of college, I did a program called Teach for America and just kind of I I played basketball in high school and and one year abroad um, in Argentina. But um, I kind of fell into coaching uh, when I was teaching the girls team at the high school I was at didn't have a coach and the boys team had like 10 coaches. They won state titles and it was like a really premier program. and so I just kind of fell in my lap um, where I became the girls coach. And I was at that school for three years and kind of through that experience, I just noticed so much, um, so much kind of inequity there, even at that level, the lack of resources for, for our team versus the boys team, even down to just the apathy, I hate to say it, but from administrators or, or students or the community, um, and it really felt... Um, Like it wasn't the same school or it wasn't the same team. Um, And then when I eventually went to journalism school with kind of a focus on sports journalism, I noticed a very similar feeling. Um, This time it wasn't coaching, but it was media, but where there was seemed like there was almost no coverage of women's sports and especially the WNBA. And when I did more research on it, found that only 4% of sports media coverage is of women's sports. And that just seemed kind of unacceptable. And I remember having the same feeling like in my stomach um, from coaching when I was frustrated for similar types of things. Um, So that's kind of like how this kind of sentiment really started. It's a great explanation. And I can tell from even, you know, the tweets you fire out there and they're not aggressive in a negative sense or anything like that, but I can just tell your passion from them. And so you really mean these things uh, that you say for sure. And, you know, for me, you know, I grew up with four sisters. I've got three daughters. It is just completely unacceptable for us to marginalize women's sports. These are the greatest of the greatest of the greatest athletes on earth in their sport. And it's okay if you don't, you know, if you're not a fan of it or whatever. 
but what ticks me off is the marginalization and people trying to put it down. It just it just doesn't sit well with me, and I would assume it doesn't sit well with you. Yeah, and I think um, even beyond like that aspect of it of it being like a social or gender issue, I even just look at it of like what's good journalism. Um, sure. You know, as somebody who went to journalism school and and was a journalist. Part of doing a good job in that sense to me is is finding the best stories and finding compelling stories. So the notion that in sports, 96% of those are from men um, just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. We're visiting with Eli Horowitz. So from you on the front lines of it this year, what are some coverage trends that you're seeing that you're, I guess, um, that you're encouraged by this year? Because at least for me, I feel like, you know, the mentions are up, the coverage is up, there are more media members willing to go to games in each city. So what are you seeing as far as that goes? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot to be encouraged by. And I definitely want to reiterate that because I know I I obviously call for more coverage. And I, I, I think we can't celebrate just when there's some marginal increases. Having said that, it is important to recognize when there are improvements and there are efforts being made. So I know this year alone, or kind of in the last calendar year, um, The Athletic launched their WNBA platform. Slam launched a W Slam. Overtime WBB, which is more kind of Instagram, social media based. Uh, Bleacher Report launched a women's vertical. They have their We Are Jayla um, on on Instagram as well. And then SB Nation, I know I have two full-time national reporters. They've had Swish Appeal, which has done a great job covering women's basketball, but having two kind of staff writers on their national site that cover the WNBA. Um, and, th- and those are five, you know, very legitimate outlets. So I think that's a good sign to see. And then I think also outlets like Her Hoop Stats, Obviously, high post hoops, WNBA insider that have kind of, kind of come before that and said we we want to cover women's basketball specifically as our focus, as opposed to the some of these larger affiliates that are creating separate verticals. Um, those continue to grow as well, um, just in their following. So, it's definitely the ecosystem is definitely evolving, but I think we'd be foolish to think there's not a long way to go. Well, no doubt. So. Some people maybe in your position could be passive and maybe just like a yes person, like you, somebody calls you and requests somebody and you say, yes, I will do my best to get them. And then you do that, but you aren't necessarily on the offensive. So what possesses you to be on the offensive just a little bit more and and really try to push that out? And why do you think that is a, a good role for you to have as a PR person? Well, one one thing I've really tried to push this season um, is consistency in coverage. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times we may want, whether, whether we're the athlete, the PR person, the media member, um, we may want to chase the big profile or some really cool article from a big outlet. And, and that's awesome as well. But one thing I've tried to do this year is make sure that we have multiple reporters at every single practice. Hmm. And what I found is that's really a big key in growing media coverage. Because if you look at men's sports, let's take the NBA, for example. Um, you know, I've been, back when I was a reporter, I've been, I've been to some of these practices. You'll have 10, 20, 30 reporters at 
every single practice. And so you're getting every single day the articles, the tweets, the podcasts about that team. It's not just, you know, if, if the Lakers play on Monday and they don't play until Friday, you're still getting a barrage of coverage on that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I think that's one thing I saw really lacking in women's sports coverage is even, even when a team, maybe the game stories are covered by their local papers, you're not getting those daily updates. Uh, who, who's injured? Um, what's the timeline? And any off-the-court stories? What are people doing in the community? Um, and just having those daily scrums with the head coach and, and different players. So now you're starting to see content from every single practice, injury updates, different players' voices and videos. And I think that that's something that kind of been overlooked as we've just maybe pursued landing a feature somewhere or one outlet doing this versus getting bodies in the gym every day. Well, it creates a lot of nuance as well for those individual people that cover the game. They've got more expertise on the team and a depth and richness where they can write even a game story with some kind of richness rather than, you know, we were just talking to Sydney. Sydney had 12 points on three or four shooting from outside. No, it's so much deeper than that. And that's what being there every day can do for you, right? Yeah, and what I've actually found is I haven't had to pitch as many features as I did last year because it's happening organically. So Mm -hmm. the reporters that are coming consistently – they get to know the athletes and they come to me and say, hey, can I do a story on Alexis Jones and her Make Him Believe campaign? Or I want to do a story on Shanae and her work with ESPN. And I've had countless examples of that this year. So I'm kind of really finding from an efficiency standpoint, having reporters every day is actually not just leading to those nice daily updates, but actually even higher quality feature stories. And and it's a long answer, but I'll add to that. Some of the rejections I get from larger outlets, actually, it's funny, is, well, we don't do game stories or we don't do kind of just a practice story. But what I'm learning and starting to counter with is, yeah, but th- but that's actually when you get to know the team and the players, which then allows you to do a great feature. So that same outlet, I've noticed, is going to a lot of NBA games because they're understanding that's when you're going to get the vibe of the team and the locker room, get to know the athletes and coaches, and then be able to write a great feature story. We're talking with Eli Horowitz. I think that is a fantastic uh, observation by you. And, of course, you're in the front lines. As far as the just the coverage of – I don't know. I think this is a great week to talk about it because we're coming off the fight in – Phoenix between Dallas and Phoenix and of course big national media outlets pick that up and they're like this is what's going on in the WNBA meanwhile they haven't seen anything they don't care about anything positive is going on but for some reason uh, they just want to focus on that I I think that really that really torqued me off this week you know even my own media organization who I work for they never mention the WNBA, but this is the story they want to focus in on. How can we improve that? Well, I think that kind of we spoke about um, the outlets that have launched verticals. I think where the work really needs to be done now is national media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, props to ESPN because they did 
add more games this year, and, and they've covered this league consistently. And now we have CBS that came in, I believe, at about 40 games. So that's growing. Um, but just that consistency, the, the national platforms, when you turn on sports radio or you turn on sports center or other popular shows, you're not seeing the WNBA as a topic or a segment. Um, similar to how I said kind of having people at practice leads to better stories. I'm not seeing just even just he, uh, here are the games tonight or here are the scores or just that daily mention. So if you turn on like a show like a PTI, that's what I grew up watching, pardon the interruption, amazing show. But how often do you see even just one of those one, two minute segments on women's sports? And I think that's kind of the next level where the league is being mentioned daily. And even if it's not a long segment or a feature, if you're in L.A. or New York and you're stuck in traffic driving home, your local ESPN affiliate or your local sports affiliate is even just saying, hey, the Liberty have a game tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, hey, the Sparks won tonight, 84-81. You might not, over time, having that every day, I think, may actually have more impact than the kind of a one-off larger story, if that makes sense. So I think back to your point of maybe coverage of something that's negative, I think why that maybe some look at that as frustrating is because you're not getting that daily coverage of what's going on in the league. I think at that point when it is covered daily, then I think we have to be okay with you know the good, bad, and the ugly, um, but it's that overall consistency that's lacking. I'm not saying it wasn't a story. There are yeah, that's a story. Absolutely. When there's a fight in a game, whether it be a guy's sport or a woman's sport. But um, uh, but yeah, it just it, it just pops out at you when you hear nothing that's uh, either neutral or positive along the way. What role do you think that fans can play in this, though, in demanding that coverage? If they start chirping in the ears of these institutions, do you think that is the biggest way to create change for the fans to come along and, and, and push it out of these media outlets? I think there's a few things. I think for one to kind of partake and subscribe in what's already going on, right? So I know, you know, you guys have a subscription platform. There's some very Patreon models that I see with like High Post Hoops and WMA Insider and The Athletic is doing, you know, I mean, some really incredible work. Um, you know, I, I definitely... I don't get to read everything, but I know, you know, what Sabrina Merchant's doing in the L.A. market has just been fantastic. So I think if we, if we all sit here and preach that we want this stuff, we do have to be willing to subscribe and show those editors that, hey, people are tuning in, so we should keep going. Because I think sometimes, too, and why we need to be cautious sometimes celebrating increases in coverage is what happens if in six months an editor says, well, nobody really clicked or subscribed so we're going to cut it now so i think that's first and foremost that if we're going to sit here and call for more media coverage we have to participate in it and i think you know i think social media and public opinion and just continuing to to let editors or, or journalists know that hey we'd like we'd like to see some coverage of this as well what's the best hidden story on the sparks that isn't getting told enough this year in your estimation, or if you don't want to give a favorite, you know, you can pick, uh, pick a couple because nobody knows uh, LA like, you know, LA this year. Uh, that's, that's a tough question. I think I'm, I'm very lucky to work with a team where we have 12, you know, awesome players. I think you've even just seen on the court, every one of them has had 
big moments this year and a great head coach in Derek Fisher and the winningest GM in WNBA history in Penny Toller and a fantastic uh, new president, CEO and Danita Johnson. So there's so many stories. I think when I really think about the Sparks, though, it's like the history. I mean, this team has, you know, been around since 1997 and has the most wins in league history, the most playoff appearances, um, three championships. And even in L.A., winning the title in 2016, we're the last pro sports team to win the title. I know I'm listing a lot, but when you think about that and then factor in, you know, we're, we're averaging around 11,000 in attendance, then you kind of zoom out and, and, and look at maybe the lack of overall coverage of the team, and it kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit, um, especially when you have players like Candace Parker, Neko Gumake, Shanae Gumake, Chelsea Gray, have a head coach in Derek Fisher. Um, to me, when I put back my journalist hat on, I would think this is something I want to be uh, really involved in, especially as a sports reporter. Um, and then on top of that, in the summer when you know the NFL is not going on, the NBA right now is kind of in their quiet period, that this really needs to be a priority. Well, it's a gold mine in L.A. It's a gold mine in 11 other markets across the nation as well. And Eli, I really appreciate your perspective on all this. Thank you so much for the time today. No, absolutely. And thanks for taking the time to talk about uh, such an important topic. That's Eli Horowitz, the PR director of the L.A. Sparks. Really appreciate his time. And, of course, also Sidney Weiss, who did just a wonderful job earlier on, too. I appreciate them catching up with me while they were in town. And, man, the Sparks are playing well right now. I know they lost that game against Dallas, but still, they're on a roll. Big thanks to everybody that was a part of this one, including myself. Again, very, very sorry to make your ears bleed. Make sure to rate the podcast and review us on Apple Podcasts. And, of course, you can hear us on Google and Stitcher and Spotify and even Radio.com as well. That's another avenue that we just added to the fold. So there are so many places to listen to the show. Just pick your favorite one. Stick with it. We're going to be there every single week. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is our good friend, Susie Solis. Jared Deck of Jared JaredDeckMusic.com with the theme song, and Aaron Barzilai is our executive producer. I'm John Little, your host, and here at the Hurry Hoop Stats Podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.